Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey everyone, Craig Baird here. Before I begin today's story, I want to take a moment and ask that you check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. There are several tiers with great benefits, from ad-free content to t-shirts and other cool stuff. As well, if you're a fan of Canadian history, make sure you check out all of my shows, from John to Justin, Canadian History X, Canada, A Yearly Journey, and Pucks and Cups, along with Canada's Great War. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. Just click Donate. It helps keep this show going. And all donations in September will be going to the SPCA in the memory of my best pal Boris, who sadly passed away earlier this month. Okay, on with the show. When training camp finished, it was only a couple of days before the Canadians and Soviets got down to their first game. Throughout Canada, as we saw in the last episode, there was the high expectation that Canada would dominate the Soviets and easily win. As the first game approached, the Russians stated that they were impressed by the members of the team. Alexander Maltsev would say in particular that Yvonne Cornwallier, Stan Makita, and Phil Esposito impressed him. He would add he was disappointed that Bobby Hull and Bobby Orr were not playing. He would say, quote, it would be an honor to play against them because both are considered the stars of pro hockey. They are great sportsmen. End quote. Yuri Lebedev would say, quote, They're really good. They're as good as I thought they'd be, just as I had imagined. End quote. Overall, the Russians were described as having a relaxed confidence with no panic or feeling that their team must win. One player would say, quote, We just want to play a good level of ice hockey just to show that all the talks leading up to the series were not in vain, that they were fruitful. After the games, all will be quite clear. Only then will it be possible to make comparisons." Team Canada itself was ready. Bobby Clark would say, I am proud that as a pro hockey player, I have been given the opportunity to play for something more than money. There's so much more at stake here. We're representing our country and finally getting the chance to prove that we are what we believe, the best hockey players in the world." End quote. Brad Park would say, quote, There are other things you're playing for in this. You'll find out the guys you had feuds with are great, that what you've been fighting about has just been part of the game and doesn't extend off the ice. End quote. Prior to the game, Canada was a favorite to win the first game by a spread of two and a half goals. Anyone who bet $6 would need Canada to win by three goals in order to win $5. Bobby Orr would show up prior to the first game and the Russian players began to swarm around him, asking him for autographs. Orr found the entire incident funny and gladly signed autographs for the Russian players. On September 2, 1972, Game 1 was held in Montreal in front of 18,818 fans. From the beginning, it was clear there were going to be issues. The Soviets, for example, refused to reveal their lineup until they saw the lineup of Team Canada, which was opposite what would usually be done for a visiting team. Eventually, the official scorer for the Montreal Forum had to go and demand the lineup from the Soviets in their dressing room. The puck would be dropped by Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, who was joined in the stands by former Prime Minister Lester B. Pearson. Now, the representative of the Soviet delegation, Mr. Georgi Rigulski, will join Mr. Pierre Elliott Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, and Mr. Charles A., President of Aki Canada. (laughs) 
I can't recall any game that I've ever been at where you can just feel the tension and it keeps building up and it's very warm in the forum tonight. And at the same time, the fans are really on their toes. They hardly can wait to see the beginning of this game. There's the official face-off. As is the custom in international hockey, you'll see that they all skate towards each other and exchange a little pennant and a crest. I don't know whether this will be a, a feature of international hockey if it continues on uh, for years to come, but it's certainly a very appropriate thing for this first game. Well, Brian, in the old days, he used to present flowers. Bill Esposito's line was given the honor of the opening faceoff, and this would pay off immediately when Esposito scored for Canada only 30 seconds into the game. This only encouraged Canadian fans in their belief that Canada would dominate the Soviets. Before long, the Soviets were beginning to break through the Canadian defense, though, but Paul Henderson would score six minutes in to give Canada a two-goal lead. Canada clear on the boards, but not out. It's Bergman coming up now with a pass uh, to center ice. Esposito going up over the line into the corner, shot right across the goal mouth. Berkman keeps it in. Mahovlich missed it back of the net. There's Bernoia. There's a pass to Plano. Big stop. Here's a shot right in front of the score. Mahovlich. Mahovlich knocked it into the net. No, no. Espo it's got it. It's a beautiful it. setup here. Now look at this. Number five, Brad Park gets the puck across the goal mouth. Frank has to control it, but he flips it right through. The pads. Oh, it's banged out of the thing by uh, number seven. Phil Esposito came across and picked that up. Bergman and Parker playing up. It's back to Henderson. He scores! A quick shot on the faceoff. Henderson fired at home. The Russians miss this faceoff cleanly. Goes to the right. Clark takes it out. Ellis back to Henderson. Henderson, a quick snapshot for the right corner. Tretiak had the angle cut off, but it was a perfect shot. At this point, Canadian fans were ready to watch a rout, but the Soviets were over whatever jitters they had facing the NHL players, and they soon tied the game before the end of the first period. At this point, the Canadians lost their poise on the ice, and Sindin would say they were running all over the ice to establish their hitting game, while the Soviets began to make a long pass to break a man out of the defensive zone, something the Canadians were not used to. When the Soviet players would get into the offensive zone, the Canadians would drop to the ice to block a shot, only to have the Soviet players skate around them to get a better shot. Vladislav Tretiak, who had given up two goals on two shots, found his game and quickly shut the door on the Canadians. The Soviets would go up 3-2 in the second period quickly, then moved up to 4-2 soon after. Within the forum, due to a game being played in summer technically, the temperature began to rise and by the end of the second period, it was 46 degrees Celsius in some areas. The Soviets played a game of short, quick passes and shooting only when there was a true scoring chance, rather than simply firing at the net. In the third period, Bobby Clark would score to bring Canada within one goal, and Yvonne Cornier hit the post on a shot that would have tied the game. From this point, the Soviets took over as the exhausted Canadians attempted to keep up with the Soviets, who scored three more goals in the third period to win 7-3. Canada broke into a 2-0 lead early in the first period. The Soviets came back strong and tied it up before the first period was over, and then took the lead in this second period. Karlamov, a very tricky player, gets it scores! Karlamov let a bullet drive go, and it beat Dryden to the top left-hand corner. It had Dryden beaten all the way, and it's 4-2 for the Soviets. That'll nullify anybody who says that the Soviets can't shoot. 
Henderson for Canada. Centers out to Ellis. He's got the score! Clark deflected that one into the net. Clark from Henderson and Ellis. Pernoyer had a quick shot from the faceoff there and just missed by two inches. Pernoyer gets it back to Mahovlich. They're really battling. A pass goes astray. Klinov comes right back for the Soviet. Passes to Mihailov. Coming in on goal. Oh, he scores! Mihailov went right in to score and give the Soviet a 5-3 lead. Buck rolls back into the Soviet zone. Vladiev deflected one off Shadron's stick. Yakushev got up over the line. Here they're closing in. Seaman gets right in. He scores! Seaman went rushing right in to... Soviets leading 6-3 in a tremendous hockey game here, the first of a series that promises to be sensational. Now Lapointe goes up, getting in close, right in. And again, that Pritchak was steady and covered the angle. Down the left side for Zeman. Zeman, number 11, gets it back to Yakushev, who's knocked down. Puck is on the boards, with Henderson losing it to... Shadron, a roller right in front, they score! Yakushev, cutting right in front to make it 7-3. When the game ended, Team Canada refused to shake the hands of the Soviets. The Montreal Star wrote, quote, A funny thing happened at the Forum on Saturday night. Team Canada lost, and the score wasn't close. End quote. Back in Russia, though, the victory was celebrated as the Soviets drew first blood in the Summit Series. Harry Sinden would say, quote, I was stunned by their performance. They beat us in almost every department. They outplayed us in goaltending, shooting, passing, and body checking, forechecking, back checking, and sportsmanship. End quote. Claude Rule, a former coach of the Montreal Canadiens, said, quote, They are always moving, never standing around. They had manned the puck as well as anyone has ever done, and they always seem to be in the right place. End quote. Ken Dryden would say, quote, We didn't play our game at all. After they tied it up, we started playing a panic type of hockey. Sometimes there were five men going for the puck at once, end quote. Bobby Clark would say, quote, One game is worth at least 20 practices. When you're tired after 30 seconds in a scrimmage, you coast for a half a minute to regain your breath and then go again. In the games, you can't, not against these guys. You're beat in 30 seconds. That is it, end quote. Montreal Mayor Jean Drapeau would say, quote, Hockey is like politics. It is a game of teamwork, and when a team doesn't play with team spirit and togetherness, that's the result. It is not because our players were not good. It's because maybe their physical condition was not as good as that of the Soviet players. End quote. Harold Ballard would lose $650 after he bet that Canada would win by three goals. Issues began to appear within the organization of the games and logistics around this time. One issue was that most veteran sports writers from across North America were forced to pay for their own seat, rather than having provided seats. As well, the Toronto Hotel assigned to the Russians did not have rooms reserved for them when they arrived. The press was also barred from entering the dressing room at any time. The Windsor Star wrote, quote, Why did our hockey's finest behave like spoiled brats in the concluding toils of Saturday's ignominious defeat? This writer is appalled and dismayed at the over-organized confusion and directionless leadership on the part of the people in charge of Team Canada and Hockey Canada, end quote. NHL President Clarence Campbell would say of the entire series that there would never again be a team organized as a group of all-stars on the international level again. He said, quote, there is no way we've ever going to have an all-star team that plays together all the time as the Russians do now. I just can't visualize this type of all-star team being put together again." End quote. 
Two days later, the second game of the Summit Series was played at Maple Leaf Gardens. Before the game, former Prime Minister Lester B. Pearson presented the Lester B. Pearson Trophy to Jean Rattel. Howie Meeker would say what Team Canada need to do, stating, quote, Team Canada has got to play the National Hockey League way. If they go out and they try to win 1-0, then they'll win 4-1, end quote. To prepare for the game, Coach Sinden scratched Ken Dryden, Rod Gilbert, Vic Hadfield, and several others. For Hadfield, the scratch hit hard as his hometown was Toronto. In all, seven of the 17 players were switched to provide a more defensive lineup. Hitting the ice would be Serge Savard, Pat Stapleton, Bill White, Stan Makita, Wayne Cashman, and Tony Esposito would be in net. Sinden said he made the changes to, quote, get the diggers into the game and grind the Russians down. We had went for speed and quickness in our first lineup, yet the Russians were still faster and quicker, end quote. Red Fisher with the Montreal Star wrote, quote, have the numbers 7 and 3, which is the score by which the Soviet Nationals overwhelmed Team Canada, be gnawing at your innards for the last couple days? Try 9. 9. That's the number of changes Team Canada is putting on the ice in an attempt to turn around the embarrassment tonight. End quote. Even before the game, bookies still had Canada as a favourite, with the spread being two goals for Canada, a decline of only half a goal from the first game. Prior to the game, Prime Minister Lester B. Pearson would present the trophy that bared his name to Jean Rattel. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm honored to be able to present this trophy, which bears my name, to a great hockey player and a very fine gentleman, Jean Rattel. Mr. Pearson, ladies and gentlemen, it surely is a great honor for me to win this award, and I would like to thank all the players for voting for me, my teammates, and especially Roger Baron and Vic Hatfield for making it possible. Team Canada was prepared for the second game, and while the first period was scoreless, Canada focused on hitting the Soviets hard and getting them off their game. Esposito scored to open the scoring in the second period. Yvonne Cornoyer would bring Canada up 2-0 in the third period, but the Soviets came back to make it 2-1. Pete Mahovlich would score a shorthanded goal to take Canada up 3-1, while his brother Frank scored to make it 4-1. Lachenko kicked at the puck to get it out. It's brought in by Cashman, a rugged performer. Esposito was dumped on the play, and it looks as if it's going to be a penalty to the Soviet. The goalkeeper's leaving. The idea's Esposito. Darson off, and Esposito facing off. He kicked it to the blue line, and it's shot down the ice by Lachenko. Park goes in back to the Canadian goal. 40 seconds left on the penalty. Up the center ice. Park over the right side. Pernoye coming right in. He's just Now then, the Soviets will have the power attack. And Yakis 
Shevel knocked over by Peter Mahoglitz, who has been throwing his weight around very efficiently. Puck slides right back to Palladium, intercepted again by Ellis, who's out there with Peter Mahoglitz. Ellis, six. Peter Mahoglitz, 20. Bergman and Park, the defense. Canada leading two to nothing. There's a breakaway up the center. Ziva gets away from a shot. Oh, and he was hurried by Park and failed to get it. up, scores! Yakushev was standing in front and was able to meet over on the far side. Right in front of the goal, went wide of the net. Ziva knocked it back to the goal. It rolls off to the side. They failed to clear it out. The point failed to get it away. Then Espinosa cleared out. It's a race down with Peter Mahoney going in on goal. Right in. It's scores. Peter Mahoney. Puck is nearly Soviet goal. Kuskin laying it over on the far side, and it's broken up by Makita. Anderson was stopped. He's the rookie out there for the first time. The right foot for Mahoney. In the game, Team Canada took five of the nine penalties, but Valerie Karlamov was given a 10-minute misconduct for brushing against the referee while arguing a minor call. And while he was off the ice, Canada scored three goals. Harold Ballard was so impressed with Karlamov that he stated he would pay $1 million for him to play for the Maple Leafs. With that win, the series was tied at 1-1. Harry Sinden would say, quote, We found out a lot by losing Saturday night. We played a much closer checking game and a little more sensible, those were the key factors tonight, end quote. After the game, Phil Esposito would say, quote, This is bigger than winning the Stanley Cup. This is as excited as I've ever been in my life, end quote. He would add on how the team was coming together, stating, quote, The game Saturday was a conditioner for us, and by the third period tonight, we seemed to be getting over the hump. After two games now, we're pretty close to being in condition, and this is going to make a big difference, end quote. Ted Blackman of the Montreal Gazette would say that the team had improved greatly over the previous game. He wrote, quote, Every aspect of Team Canada's game was improved, which wasn't hard to do, but few expected Sinton's club to attain the level of efficiency in so short a time, including the rats who jumped ship at first. End quote. The Soviet coaches would blame the officiating for the loss, stating that the American referees let the Canadians get away with everything. Andrei Starovatov, the head of the Soviet Hockey Federation would charge at the door of the officials' dressing room and kick chairs over. He would say, quote, The second game saw much power play, and the American referees often ignored violations of rules by the Canadians. But the moment the Soviet star player, Valery Karlamov, asked a referee why his partner had been sent to the penalty box, he was ordered off the ice for 10 minutes. End quote. The two referees, Frank Larson and Steve Dowling, were supposed to ref Game 4 in Vancouver but they would be replaced by the referees who were the refs for Game 1, and they would ref Game 3 as well. Thank you for joining me on Canadian History X. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Maclean's, NHL.com, Toronto Star, Wikipedia, Calgary Herald, and the Montreal Star. This show is researched, produced, and written by me, Craig Baird, with the help of producer Dila Velasquez. Audio design and production by Rob Johnson. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a five-star review to help others find these amazing stories. And there are so many for you to sink your teeth into. 
And we love hearing from you. So if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig at canadaehx.com. And don't forget to stop by my website and social media. I've included all of those in my show notes. Until next time, I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X.